Praise the Lord. This week is Holy Week. Um, we're entering into what is known throughout Christian circles as Holy Week. It's the week that leads up to the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And throughout the world, for the most part, Christian churches everywhere, Holy Week is the most sacred week of the year. Now, I know that in our Pentecostalism that we don't celebrate Holy Week in that capsule per se. And so I want to share some things with you this morning about Holy Week. Holy Week is something that's really observed closely and dearly in many of the Orthodox uh, liturgical style churches like the Catholic Church and the Episcopalian and Presbyterian and Lutheran and some of the churches along those lines. Holy Week is the culmination uh, of everything that is sacred. And uh, so there's still some important things to learn about it. And so today being Palm Sunday, how many of y'all remember that today is Palm Sunday? It came kind of early this year, it feels like that, you know, Palm Sunday and Easter and all that jazz. And, uh, but it's the starting point. Today is the starting point of Holy Week. And of course, excuse me, Palm Sunday uh, represents the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So I want to give you a little bit of a, um, let's call it a history lesson, I guess, about the different days of Holy Week. And I want to read a fair amount of scripture to you this morning that connects the dots as to why each of these days is important. And so you can turn your Bibles with me. Some of the scriptures will be on the screen. Otherwise, you'll see a reference on the screen as you should see at this point, or the, Lynn may put it up there, I'm not sure, whatever he does. And so uh, I'm going to read uh, chapters, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11 in the book of Mark. So turn your Bibles to the book of Mark. I am reading this morning from the New King James Version of the Bible. Amen, amen, amen. So again, today marks Palm Sunday, the beginning of of Holy Week, and specifically today, commemorating the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as he rode in on a donkey. I got a sneeze that's kind of trying to bubble up back there, and so in Jesus' name, hallelujah. I don't know whether that means in Jesus' name, stay in him, or in Jesus' name, come out of him in Jesus' name. All right, starting with verse 1, chapter 11, the book of Mark. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied to, by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing? Loosen the colt. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, and so they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. And so when he had looked around at all things as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And so this is the... Many churches today will be pre preaching, I would imagine, uh, um, on the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ and kind of focusing, focusing in um, right there. Now, the next day in Holy, the Holy Week tradition is known as uh, Holy Wednesday. Uh, and the day symbolizes um, the beginning of the growing darkness that was going to take place with the abandonment of Jesus by his disciples, um, the expected anguish and tragedy of Good Friday that you know happens a few a couple days after that, and so 
that's what Wednesday night is. It's kind of the beginning of the darkness. That's, uh, I think Satan is starting a party saying we're going to destroy the Lamb of God. Problem is they made the mistake of calling him the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. He is the ultimate sacrifice for us. Can you say amen? Now the next day in Holy Week is, has an unusual name. And it is called Monday, not Monday, Monday, M-A-U-N-D-Y, Thursday. And it marks the day of the Last Supper of Jesus that he shared with his disciples. It also marks the betrayal uh, by Judas Iscariot. And it also marks his arrest in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane. And so we can see how the darkness of, of what is called Holy Wednesday, that beginning of darkness, automatically begins to find um, its definition happening a day later with the things that are taking place. So turn your Bibles with me to uh, Mark chapter 14. I told you I was going to read a couple of scriptures uh, to you. I don't know that this will be so much a preaching message as a a teaching message, but there will be some important uh, golden truths that we need to take with us from this. Mark chapter 14, I'm going to read verses 32 through 50. Are you ready? Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch it and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what or how to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Resting, It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. So once again, um, Monday, Thursday. Now this takes us to the next day in Holy Week which we all recognize, and in many cases, we commemorate it with a Good Friday service somewhere. And it, of course, commemorates the, the trial uh, of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. It commemorates the sentence of his death. It commemorates his torture. It commemorates his crucifixion, and it commemorates his burial. All of this doesn't sound too much like a Good Friday, does it? Sounds like a bad Friday. And in the earthen realm, yeah, it was a very bad Friday. But in the heavenly realm, it was very much a good Friday. And it's called Good Friday because it actually 
is a commemoration of what Jesus accomplished at the cross of Calvary. You can't throw out all of the horrible torture that he went through. Um, you have to recognize that that happened, and a part of that is what, for me, I can't read the crucifixion story without um, being emotionally overwhelmed because I read it as a personal story that, that he did it just for me. Are you all hearing me? And I'm not being selfish, and I think all of us should recognize that he did it for all mankind. But if you begin to read the story of what happened to Jesus on Good Friday, and you make it something that Jesus did just for you, and I think that's how great our God is, that he's able to do something for all of mankind and just for a single individual all at one time. And so that makes it very much a good Friday. Can you say amen? And so let's take a look at that in uh, Luke chapter 23. Open your Bibles to the 23rd chapter of the book of Luke. I'm going to read a few scriptures here. Amen. The book of Luke, chapter 23, starting with verse 1. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Herod, excuse me, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. And then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priest and scribe stood and vehemently accused him. And then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Verse 13, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent him back to him, excuse me, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. Verse 18. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men of the chief priest prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Verse 26. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. 
And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For, in the day, for indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? Verse 32. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, where, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they do, know not, they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in, the letter, in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breast and returned but all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Verse 50. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. And he had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself also was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Wow. Following Good Friday in Holy Week is a, a day known as Holy Saturday, which is directly to the disciples visiting the tomb. It's directly related to them running, the ladies running, and a couple of disciples that ran to the tomb to see where Jesus was buried. We're going to read about that in the 16th chapter of Mark. And so if you could turn your Bibles with me to Mark. Chapter 16. Are you ready? Starting with verse 1, I'll read 1 through 8. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, 
they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So Holy Week, for many Christians, is an emotional time. And it's also, for many in Orthodox liturgical church, a very spiritual time. Um, and it starts out, obviously, with the joyous shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord and kind of enters into the somberness of, of Holy Wednesday and Monday, Thursday, and which leads right up to the horrors of the crucifixion and the death of Jesus on Good Friday. And then ultimately leads to the heavenly celebration, praise God, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we all know uh, as Easter Sunday, of which we will celebrate this next week. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday. Remembering, of course, we have a sunrise service at 8, and then a, a, a resurrection Sunday service at 10. And so invite a friend, bring somebody with you. Let's fill up both services. Can you say amen? Now, I, that was just, I guess, an introduction um, to help you understand why we're here and what Palm Sunday. Um, I don't know if any of you all observe Holy Week. Many of you may have come from a Catholic background or one of the Orthodox churches that I was talking about where Holy Week is Holy Week. It's a big deal. A really big, big deal. But I wonder, have you ever wondered what Jesus' last moments were like? Have you ever given that thought? What were his thoughts in that moment? What were his emotions? What was he thinking about his purpose and his mission here on planet Earth? The final moments of Jesus' earthly life paved the way for all of us to receive forgiveness. It paid the way for all of us to receive salvation. It paved the way for all of us to access eternal life with him, not in separation from him. So it was a grand day, but Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. That means there's a serious human side of Jesus. And probably the God side had no questions about what was going on. But we know that the man's side did because he said to the father, is there another way? So there was stuff going on in Jesus' mind, his thoughts and his emotions. For all of us, we recognize that final words are some of the most important words that a person will ever utter. And twice Jesus actually spoke final words. You might say, well, it wasn't final if he did it twice. Well, he did it in two different settings to two different groups of people. And both of these times encapsulate, encapsulate his assignment on planet Earth. He spoke final words just before dying. And then he did it again just before ascending into heaven. Uh, John, this one will be up on the screen. I imagine maybe the others have as well. I'm not sure. But John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. This is by far... One of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible. It really is. I know I say that a lot, but this is really, this one really ranks up there high. Listen to this. This, this may help us have some insight into what was going on in his mind in those last moments. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. The three most profound words ever spoken in the history of mankind. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He died. It is finished. Everything, if you want to know what Jesus' last thoughts were about his purpose, about his mission, about his assignment, it was, Papa, Father, I did what you sent me to do. And I got to believe the man side of him was going, and I hope you're well pleased with what I did. I'd finished it all. I, I accomplished it all, Father. And what did he accomplish? Everything was accomplished. Well, the break in fellowship between God and man that took place in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against God. There was a breach, a break in the fellowship between God and man. That empty space between God and man was spanned by the outstretched arms of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The bridge between God and man was accomplished. Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, said, it is finished. Not only that, but the authority that Adam gave up, relinquished to Satan by disobeying God, was taken back. And it was given to us. If only more believers knew of their authority in Christ, you and I would be winning much more over the attacks of the enemy. See, God's creation wins and the devil loses. Can somebody say amen? amen. And so, although this is a week that leads up to horrible, terrible things, the culmination of it is profound and beautiful. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18 says, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Keys speaks of authority. Jesus took the authority back. He changed all of mankind. He changed all of earth at the cross of Calvary. He took upon his shoulders all of our sins as though they were his and took upon his shoulders and his body all of our punishment of which he didn't deserve. And he willing, willingly gave it to us. He fulfilled the, the sacrifice that was necessary to appease the judgment of God. That's why it's known as the ultimate sacrifice. Up until then, it was required regularly for there to be sacrifices in the temple to atone for sin. Jesus did it all in one fell swoop. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All these things were fully accomplished and fully completed just before Jesus said, it is finished. 1 John 2, 2. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but check this out, y'all. The sins of all the world, Jesus atoned for. There's a reason it's called Good Friday. And then, of course, we all know this one, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everything that needed to be accomplished is wrapped up in his final words. It is finished. Parker, if you get some of that background music going. We're going to receive the communion elements 
at this point in today's sermon. You can go ahead and turn it down just a little bit, please. Thank you. Now, these can be a little tricky, so there is a little cellophane tab. If you're not careful, you'll pull two tabs off, and I promise you, if you pull the second one off over the uh, juice first, you'll have a hard time getting the other one out. So just take your time with it. It's okay. And then once you get the element of bread out, there's another pink or yeah, pink cellophane. Slowly but surely, pull that back so as to not spill it on yourself. Scripture is written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, to the church at Corinth. And it's uh, from the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to start in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Now, I'm, this is all purposeful. I wanted you to get a feel for Holy Week, the stuff that happened. And so what we're commemorating at this moment isn't just what happened on Good Friday or on Easter Sunday, but this was the night he was going to be betrayed. And you know he knew it. He knew who his betrayer was. For I received from the Lord that which I also received to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Take that piece of bread. And now this communion is going to be, again, in relationship to what we just discovered and talked about and read all those passages of Scripture as it relates to Holy Week. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for us. And so with all the stuff that was going on in Jesus' mind, his emotions and his heart, that night may our hearts connect to it in such a way that this becomes a very profound moment for us. But thank you, Father, for giving us your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we receive this wafer representative of the body of Jesus Christ that he gave up for us. In Jesus' name, you may receive These are important moments for us. That's why we have to park here for a second. I like to feel every crumb. It's not the best tasting cracker, and it's not supposed to be. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the, this is, excuse me, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. His blood washes us whiter than snow. It's because of his blood that we can find healing and that we can find salvation and we can experience the love and forgiveness of the Father all because of the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so once again, Father, I want to thank you for sending your Son to become the ultimate sacrifice. And Jesus, thank you for willingly going to the cross, so much so that it's said of you that you embraced it. Thank you. One drop of blood's all it took, and yet you shed your blood from so many areas in your body for us. And so we receive this with thanksgiving and with remembrance. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may receive. Now, if our ushers could come by with the baskets and pick up, you know, if you'll pass your cups to toward the aisle one way or the other. I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but thank you for the music, sir. I appreciate that. Now, I shared with you that there was two times that Jesus had final words, and the other set of final words is found in the 24th chapter of Luke. And so turn with me to the 24th chapter of Luke. Luke 24, I'm going to start with verse 44. Are you ready? Thank you, ushers, for helping us out there. I appreciate it very much. We have a great usher team, don't we? Yes. yes. Luke 24, verses 44 through 51. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the, day, from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold... I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power on high. Verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Wow. Wow. Our redemption, brothers and sisters, is secured because Jesus successfully completed his mission. He successfully completed what God had destined for him to do on planet Earth in an earth suit. And he did it. And I don't know about you, but I can proclaim from the rooftops, thank God that he did. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus has delivered us from the power of darkness. And he's translated us into his kingdom, into his marvelous light. And thank God there not only was power to deliver, but there is still power to deliver. Can I get a witness from somebody? And have... I wonder, have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you reached out to him? Have you prayed to the Lord Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come for him to come and, and, and abide inside of you, live inside of you, and to put your trust and your faith in him? Have you asked him to save you and 
I'm looking around, and I know that many of you have, if not all of you, but I never want to take it for granted that every single person that's in the church service or who is online with us right now has one day made that journey of prayerfulness before God to say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned, and I received Jesus Christ into my heart. One day there was a, a kindergarten class that was going on and there was a field trip that they had planned to go to the local um, fire station. And after the children had had an opportunity to examine the fire trucks and the fireman's gear and their quarters and the fireman's pole and all that, one of the firemen began to talk to the kids about fire safety. And he said, if you think your house might be on fire, the first thing you should do is go to the door and feel it and see if it's hot. Uh, and the second thing you should do is get down on your knees. And then he asked the kids, do you, does anyone know why you should get down on your knees? And one little boy in the front raised his hands and said, you get down on your knees so you can pray that God will get you out of this mess. That's why you get down on your knees. <laughs> and although that wasn't the answer that the fireman was looking for, he said, did say, that's actually a pretty good idea. And so I wonder, have you gotten down on your knees and prayed for God to save you from the mess that you're in? And I'm not talking about, now granted, yes, I am talking about someone getting saved for the very first time, but that's not just what I'm talking about, because even good, spirit-filled Christians find themselves in messes. Are you hearing me? So please don't take this, I'm getting ready to finish this service and end this service with this altar call. Please don't think that um, what I'm doing is just giving a call to first time salvation. Oh, I desire that desperately, yes. But what about the call to all the rest of us who are born again believers already, but yet we find ourselves in a mess? And maybe because we're saved, we don't figure we can get down on our knees and say, help me through this mess. So I ask you, what kind of mess are you in today? I'm going to invite my prayer team up again. Where's Bill? You got something for me? Sure you do. Come on up. <laughs> Prayer team, yes, good, excellent. What kind of mess are you in? Maybe, maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you—that you're all right. You're just automatic. You're in an eternal mess in that in that in that state, and you need to. Accept Jesus into your heart and then go through his power, face all the rest of the messes that life will bring. But maybe you're, a, you're here and you're a born-again Christian, spirit-filled Christian, Bible-toting Christian, and you find yourself in a mess. Don't let pride keep you there. Give up your pride. So what do you need to be delivered from today? Deliverance is not just something that the sinner, the heathen, needs. The person who's never accepted Christ needs. It's, it's something that even good, spirit-filled Christians need to be, have things in their life that they need to be delivered from. Drugs, alcohol, pornography. You might be thinking, born-again believers? Yeah, mere humans just like the rest of you. Maybe you need to get delivered from something. Now, if you're mad at your spouse, that's not what you need to get delivered. You need to get delivered from being angry, but not from your, oh God, deliver me from this person. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What do you need to be delivered from? See, as, as believers who understand what I've talked about today and sharing with you the stuff about Holy Week and reading all those passages of Scripture, this should be something that a believer 
attends to regularly. It's often harder for the non-believer because that step, that's a huge step to say, okay, wow, this is going to be, a, this is probably going to be a changing point in my life, and that's sometimes difficult. But what about the believer? Well, we could all sit there, of course, as well and say, no, nah, man, I am holy, 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 holy am I. So then I ask you, what sin has hijacked your heart and is holding you captive? Is it the sin of unforgiveness? Is it the sin of bitterness? Is it the sin of gossip? What sin has hijacked your heart? What unforgiveness do you need to let go of? What bitterness do you need to let go of? You might say, well, I'm not, you know, a heathen drunk. What, you think that's worse than harboring unforgiveness? There's no levels of sin with God. Sin is sin is sin is sin, not to be mistaken with sin. And I would venture to say that every one of us on any given day sin. I need to take that before God. It's sort of like, oh, uh, let's see what might be a good example. Um, I'll use, a, they just had a, a golf tournament a couple weeks ago where it was match play and they were pitted one-on-one -on -one instead of one against many one-on-one -on -one. and I got to thinking about the fact that on any given day any one of those professional golfers could win it's not because any one of them are necessarily always better than anybody else but on any given day even the best of them can fail so I don't know what level you're at in your Christianity. None of us are immune to the attack of the enemy. None of us are. We have more power than that and more authority than that, but we're not immune to his attacks. None of us are immune to failing before God. And yet many of us are numb to running after God for forgiveness. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It, it's a one, he died one time for me. I'm forgiven one time. But that will never, ever, ever stop me from running back to the Father and saying, Father, I have sinned. Forgive me. Huh? It's like a friend of mine. He said one time he had a bunch of beans in a kettle. And I said, uh, boy, you better eat those. He's going to take them home with him. He said, you better eat those all by yourself. And he said, I already asked my whole family to forgive me. <laughs> Sometimes just one I'm sorry isn't always enough. So I wonder, have you prayed for God to get you out of the mess? What sin has hijacked your heart? And all these things that I'm talking about are answered through what Jesus Christ did at the cross of Calvary for you and me. Salvation can be yours. And again, that's not just first time salvation. But every now and again, I just need to turn on the faucet of salvation in my life. That's why I wear the helmet of salvation. Huh? Sometimes I need to be reminded. Sometimes I need to go back and get another drink. Of the water of God that lets me know in my heart of hearts that all is well. With my Father in heaven and all, and therefore all is well with my soul. But sometimes we just spend way too much time wallowing in our own mess. So salvation can be yours this morning. He is still the deliverer. He still is in the delivering business, if you will. If you need deliverance from anything. It's available to you today. It's waiting for you. I believe deliverance is waiting for you this morning. And the answer that you so desperately need is available right now. I believe that Jesus is calling you and he's calling me.
to come home. And you might think, well, isn't that for the unbeliever? No, no, no. Some of us need to get up off our rusty dusties and once again run to God like we did at the very beginning. Many of us have found inability to get up off our rusty dusties because we are so entrenched in our religion that we think that somehow that will answer it. And I think, I know this, I'm not sure if I shared this with you all. I think I shared it with my discipleship training class. I love it when I get to see my 10 grandkids. And uh, I, they, they sit in my lap for two reasons. One's because they want something. And the other's because they want me. And I'm so deeply moved as a papa when they come sit in my... I, I'm deeply moved either way. Don't take me wrong. I'm more deeply moved when they come to me and I say, what do you want? And they go, I, don't, I just want to sit with you, Papa. And what if they only ever did that once? Are you, are you, I'm not trying to break down theological stuff here, but what if my grandkids only ever did that once? And I'm like, you better get over here every time you come to my house and give me some Papa time. You know what I'm saying? And here you are in Papa's house. And maybe Papa said, you better get on over here and give me some Papa time this morning. So don't get all caught up in your religion. And boy, how holy you are. And we know we are in the eyes of God. And that's cool and that's good. But what mess are you in? Jesus is calling you and he's calling me to come home. Final scripture. And then, Brother Bill, whatever you got in your heart, you can lead us into it. And then I'm just going to open up the altars for you to come. I hope you do. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. I invite you today to come receive some Papa time and to give Abba Father some kid time in his presence.
on, sing it, sing it like you know it, because I know you know it. <laughs> Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Yeah. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Sing open again. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Yeah. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. See you high and lifted up. See you high and Can you do that? Hallelujah. I think you're dismissing us today, isn't that right? Amen. Let's give Pastor a hand. Oh. It's a great message. Thank you, Pastor, for all that you do for your heart for God. We just appreciate that so much. And we want to invite everybody to come back there, have some cake, get all sugared up before we have chicken. <laughs> and let's just celebrate his, his birthday. Amen. Thank 